0: we began looking at this uh, 12th chapter of the book of Romans a number of weeks ago. And something that we noticed in the the verses, particularly focused in verse 3 down through verse 8, is really a, a blessing to every person in this room who has accepted Christ as Savior. What the Lord has told us in those verses is that He has given every single follower of Christ a special giftedness to perform works of ministry that will be effective for the work of God and for the benefit of the body of Christ. Every one of us has been granted gifts, spiritual gifts that will cause us, and when I say every one, remember this, that's under the context or in the context ...context of being a follower of Christ, having accepted Christ as your Savior. That is not the case for those who have not trusted Christ. But your effectiveness will depend upon your use of the gifts that God has given you and your willingness to extend those gifts to the benefit of the body of Christ. When we come to verse 9, there is a shift... And the shift almost appears to us to be a bridge. Because when we understand the reality of our having this special giftedness, how in the world does that work itself out? When you get to the middle part of verse 9, all the way down through the remainder of the book, pardon me, the remainder of the chapter. There are going to be some other things introduced in later chapters. But when you get to the remainder of chapter 12, what you see is how those gifts are to be worked out on behalf of the body of Christ. And we're introduced to a variety of declarations, of exhortations that the Lord gives us on how we are to treat others. For the most part, it deals with how we're supposed to treat other believers. But on occasion, it's going to bring into view other unbelievers as well. And so you have this one little bridge that connects the two concepts, your capability and the outworking of that capability. And the bridge is expressed, at least in my translation, the one that we're using today, in a few little words. And you've all memorized them. Say them with me. Let love be without hypocrisy. You see, the giftedness that the the Lord has given to His people has been expressed in the book of 1 Corinthians as well. It's also identified for us in 1 Peter. But these are the primary passages that deal with this giftedness. In 1 Corinthians we're introduced to the way in which those gifts are to be used. How many of you are familiar with the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13 is often identified as the love chapter. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. It's often quoted at weddings. It's often expressed within the context of the the love of a, a mate for the other mate and so forth. But the context is not really related to that. The, the entire context of that chapter is related to the giftedness that God has given us and the way He intends for us to use that giftedness. We are to use it within the confines of love. In Romans, one brief little statement that captures the whole idea of what is expressed at length in First Corinthians chapter 13. Let love... Be without hypocrisy. Now, what the Lord has said is this I've done a lot for you. Would you agree with that? He has provided for us the gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of Christ, our Lord Jesus taking our sin upon Himself at the cross, dying in our place, being buried, rising again from the dead, so that freely. We can receive by the grace of God the gift of eternal life based upon the forgiveness of our sins and the extension of Christ's righteousness to us, clothing us in a righteousness that is equal to his own, which makes us acceptable to the Father. And so He has done that for us. But then He's given us much more. The Bible tells us that His mercies are new to us every day. We, we talk about the blessings that we enjoy. And yes, we still live in a sin-cursed world. We still live in a world that is filled with hatred and animosity and terror and the things that go along with godlessness. And we ourselves understand that. But what we also know is this. Christ has given us far more than we could possibly hope for, far more than we deserve, and there is a response that is appropriate. The response is that we carry out in love the work that the Lord has called each one of us to on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We began, when we started at this point, particular passage in, in Romans twelve with this idea I owe you. Do you remember that? I owe you. And and I do. I owe you. And you owe me. And you know what it really would be good if we understood that. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to look around and if you're a guest with us today, um, I don't care. I mean, I do care, but I want you to do it too. Especially if you know Christ as your Savior. I want you to talk to three people within your immediate circle of proximity there, and I want you to get their names. Just the first name, all right? Talk to three people right now. Get their first names. I know that you've gotten more than just a first name. You've probably exchanged some pleasantries. Now here's what I would like you to do. I want you to say the name of the person, the persons whose names you got, and tell them this. Bob, whoever it might be, I owe you effective ministry. I owe you effective ministry. Say that right now to the three people whose names you got. That all comes from an understanding of verses 3 through 8. Now we come to verse 9. I want you to speak to those same three people again and say, What are you tired of them already? You forgot their names? I would like you to say to them, I owe you sincere love. Okay. Now I expect you to hold each other to it. I owe you effective ministry because I have been gifted by God to minister to you in a variety of ways that will be of benefit to your spiritual life. I owe you sincere love because of the love of Christ that has been shed abroad in my heart through Christ my Savior. I owe you. Do do you all get that? I owe you. That love that the Lord speaks about is a love that begins to expand in our understanding as we take a moment to think about it. The love that is being spoken of here in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12 is the God quality of love that has been shown through Christ and the sacrifice that He made. And for us, that love is to be patterned after the love that Christ has shown to us. And so our lives should pattern themselves in the light of the love that Christ had for us, which was a non-hypocritical love. It was a love that said, I love you and I mean it. My desire is for your well-being. I want to see you benefit and prosper and grow and advance in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And unless I minister to you effectively, you cannot do that as fully as God intends. Unless I love you sincerely, you cannot do that as fully as God intends. Here's the problem we face. It's real easy to say, I love you, isn't it? Have you ever said that to somebody you don't love? I really wasn't expecting any response, but I did hear a low rumble. Sure, you probably dated somebody along the way, those of you who dated, and you may have said, I love you, and then later on you said, no, I guess I really don't. And we understand that, that the world looks at love as something that you kind of extend and uh, if it's no longer appropriate to extend it, you, you withdraw it. But that isn't lo- God's love. The love that the Lord speaks about is love that's not only expressed through the mouth, and it is expressed through the mouth, but it's also replicated through the way Christ loved. And it isn't just with words that are hollow and hypocritical. I love you, but I'm not going to do anything for you. I love you, but I'm not going to care for your well-being. I love you, but no, I don't have time to use my gifts to benefit you. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel wrote as God spoke to him about the people of Israel when they were expressing love, but not demonstrating it. In Ezekiel chapter 33 we read this and beginning at verse 31 if you're writing that down it says so they came to you as people do now this is god speaking to the prophet ezekiel so they came to you or so they come to you as people do they sit before you as my people and they hear your words but they do not do them for with their mouth they show much love but their hearts pursue their own gain. That is an incredible expression of hypocrisy. I love you. Goodbye. I love you. But I don't have time for you. I love you. But I'm not going to get involved in any kind of a ministry that would be to your benefit. How bad were the Israelites? Maybe not a whole lot worse than some people today. And so the Lord says, don't be hypocrites. And He understood it so well because just a few hours before His trial and ultimately His crucifixion, one of the group that should have loved him, approached him in the garden and gave him a kiss and betrayed him. That's hypocritical love. People in the world say Christians are hypocrites. Let me tell you, Christians don't have a a lock on hypocrisy. The world's full of it too. And we were hypocrites before we came to know Christ. And in some cases we still are. I understand that. It it is part of the battle we're going to be dealing with throughout our entire life. But as followers of Christ, the hypocrisy should begin to melt away. We should see it evaporating and leaving our lives so that what we really mean is what we say and we say, I love you. Therefore, I owe you an effective ministry. So we, we see the way Christ loved. He, he had a self-sacrificing love. We often turn to that passage in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 where we read this. And, and listen to this. How, how in the world can you possibly bring your life into line with what Paul tells us in this passage? He says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or something to be grasped to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And we look at the manger. And we see God. God the Son coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This love that we are to pattern ourselves after was a love that was not only not hypocritical, but it was a self-sacrificing love that grasped the things in life that are really important. It's so easy for us to fall into the thinking of the world today, to think that the things we accumulate are really what add value to life. The influence that we exert are the things that make life worth living. And what we find is this. The things that we really want in life are escaping us because of the selfishness with which we approach life. We fail to see the things that are really important. Some years ago in Texas there were some floods. And they were you know how the news interviews people uh, when they go through tragedy. And to me, it just seems so insensitive. When they talk to people who have just lost loved ones, they talk to people who have lost their their possessions. And in this particular time, one of the news people was talking to the family, and they had lost their house, they had lost virtually all of their possessions. And they had a seven-year-old child who gave this answer. We really didn't lose anything we still have our family and we still have our friends <laughs> that's putting value where it belongs that's really what it's about what what are the things that you really really want in life you tell santa or maybe you could tell him things that you will find he cannot deliver Peace. I would love to have peace of heart. I would love to have a conscience that's clear. I would love to be surrounded by people that I not only love, but who love me too. I would love to have purpose for living. I don't want to just make... A paycheck, spend it, go back and make another paycheck, spend it. No, I, I really want to have a purpose for living. And see, here, here is the difficulty. When we have those things that are really valuable, and by the way, every one of those things is valuable. The peace, the clear conscience The purpose, all of that is valuable. But when we look for that by using our own devices and living according to the flesh, we find that we don't get that. But when we give up our lives and we live for the glory of God and the benefit of God's people, what we find is that the things that we really want are the things that only God can give when we decide we're going to do things His way. And we spend our whole lives dealing with that. We try to figure out, how is it that I can really have what what I deeply want? And it's because of what the Lord has done for us, that we can have it. Listen to what He said in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know what that means? The satisfaction that comes from a heart that is filled with love comes when I lay down my life for you. Think of those three names. When you lay your down, down your life for them, then life takes meaning. I owe you love. And it's patterned after Christ, but it's demonstrated... Through the things that I do. It's demonstrated through my actions. If you uh, listen to what John said in John chapter 3, verse 18, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Good works become a very, very important part of the expressions of love. We as believers understand that doing good works does not merit. God's favor toward us. We cannot do any good work that would cause God to turn toward us with a favorable view because of our sin. But, once our sin is cared for, when our sin is paid for, and the Father looks at us through eyes that see the righteousness of His Son, Then what happens is we are in a position to do good works that are a reflection of the love that God has shown to us. When we do these good works, what we find is the world doesn't often understand this. Do you know that in pagan societies, loving someone else is considered weakness? And the reason it's considered weakness is because it means that you are living your life for the benefit of another person rather than for your own selfish desires. The pagans want what they can get for themselves. And by the way, that is slipped to us very subtly in our educational system here. And in the... The expressions that we hear constantly. Do you you know what the world says is going to cause you to have a life that's fulfilling? Self. What what are the terms we hear? I I want you to be self-assured, right? I want you to be self-assured. Actualized. Those of you who are going through the, the small uh, group studies that we have, do you remember in one of the early sessions the pyramid that we looked at that the world propagates and says that the epitome is to be self... What's the word at the top? Self-actualized? No, it's, it's something like that. But you know what it is. It's all what I can get for myself. That's pagan. Do you understand that? That is a pagan philosophy. And it's what our world is telling us will bring us great satisfaction, great joy and fulfillment in life, and we look around and there's no satisfaction, there's no joy, there's no fulfillment, because it can't come that way. It comes when I let love be without hypocrisy. The third element that's involved in this is the consistency with which we express that love under all situations. We are going to go through circumstances in life that do not lend themselves to expressions of love. And let me begin with perhaps one of the greatest areas of difficulty with which we deal. What about when God doesn't do things the way we want them? I love to hear Pastor Luke pray because part of his prayer will conclude with something like this. Lord, we love you. Have you ever heard him pray? You, you, you probably have heard others pray and, and, and maybe you pray this yourself. Lord, we love you. And I believe that that is an absolutely genuine expression of his heart. What happens when God doesn't seem so near? What happens when it appears God has turned on us? You've heard it, and I have too. I hate God! I don't understand what He's doing. Where was He when those two terrorists walked into that building? Where was He? I'm not saying those people that were there were believers, but some may have been. And their families would raise the question, where was God when all of this unfolded? And we begin to question... Whether or not our God is a good God, whether or not He is an all-powerful God, whether or not He knew in advance that this thing was coming as an omniscient God, and we look at this and we begin to question Him. And the reality is that love that is not hypocritical love can look to the skies and look to the Father and say this, no matter what you bring my way, I know you do all things well. I know you love me, and I know that you are too good a God to do anything that will be ultimately hurtful to me. Do you get that? Do you believe that? See, this is where love without hypocrisy really enters the picture. Even when God is doing things unlike we want them done, we still love Him. And we finish our prayer with a genuine expression, Lord, I love You. I love You. What about our mates? Have you ever heard that expression, love does not alter when it alteration finds? Have you ever heard that? It's not that big a popular in expression but what it's basically saying is this that a person who genuinely loves loves by virtue of the quality of love that is being reflected through them not the loveliness of the object being loved um, those of you who are married do you love your mate don't answer I don't want there to be any embarrassing situations, so I'm going to put a muzzle on all of us at this point, okay? Don't answer that. But, it's uh, how do I say this? If you fell in love with your mate for the wrong reasons, they're probably not the same today as they were when you fell in love with them, right? Do you have pictures at home? Do you ever look at the pictures? We have a a picture of our wedding. Actually, we have several of them hanging in our bedroom. And I look at those, and I say, oh, I I ought not say this. (laughs) I say, no dinner tonight. No. Let, Let me reverse it. I could get into my wife's brain. She would look at that picture and she would say, Who did I marry? He's so different. Back when I married him, he was 178 pounds. Today, he's 182. Maybe maybe I reversed those <laughs> numbers a little. <laughs> do, do, do you follow what I'm saying? When you genuinely love, the changing of an object that you love does not affect the love that you have for them. Actually, part of the reason I couldn't say much about my wife because she still looks a lot like she did when I married her. And I'm, I, I'm not saying that so I get dinner. I, honestly, I, I really mean that. She... What did you wait? No. <laughs> I know what she's waiting for me to tell you about. The contract I made her sign the night we were married. Promising she would not gain any weight. <laughs> Some of you don't believe that, but that is true. <laughs> I was such a romantic. I, it was just incredible. No, anyway, I look at that and I say, change is going to take place in all of our lives, but... Let me go right to this. Have any of you heard of a fellow by the name of uh, J. Robert McQuilkin? J. Robert McQuilkin had been the former president of what is now Columbia International University. I think it used to be called Columbia Bible College. It's in South Carolina. It is one of the primary training centers of many, many, many missionaries today. McQuilkin was the president of the school doing an exceptional job when his wife contracted Alzheimer's. As her condition deteriorated, he had to make a decision. And his decision was this. When I took my vows, I said to my wife, I will love you in the good times and in the bad, in sickness and in health. My wife needs me now. I resign as the president of a prestigious Christian university. You know what's neat about this? We're still telling the story today. It didn't change. And he stayed with her and cared for her until she died. That's what we talk about. Oh, by the way, let me add this. Do you all understand that the lost are not the enemy? Do you understand that? The lost are the prize. The enemy motivates them. But the lost are the prize. By the way, that includes extreme Muslims. What would it have been like if this young man who committed such a horrible act this past week had been reached with the gospel of Christ? Would that have made a difference? It's not guns. It's not guns. It's hearts. Love without hypocrisy. And let me conclude The final thing that the Lord draws our attention to is that it's developed through obeying the truth. And when we embrace the truth of the Word of God, the love of God continues to grow and prosper within our lives so that ultimately we produce a sincere love that reflects the love of Christ. Listen to how Peter put it. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's what the Lord wants. You know, do you remember that popular song years ago, What the World Needs Now is Love? That really was true. But it doesn't just need a shallow, insincere, changing love. What it needs is a God-quality of love that is without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And so when we genuinely love one another, we can say to one another, I love you, and I owe you an effective ministry. By the way, we're just getting started. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these thoughts from your word today, we cannot begin to plumb the depths of what you mean when you tell us to love one another without being hypocritical. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to grasp at least to some degree this truth so that we will genuinely look at one another as the body of Christ today. Help us, Father, to be a people who are so different from the world in the right way that the world would hunger for the Savior whom we love and whom we worship